All right. Good morning. Uh, we're here at the Freightways Future Supply Chain event. My name is Dan Lewis. I'm the founder and CEO of Convoy. I'm joined by George from Shep. And today we're going to talk about innovation and freight and sustainability. Uh, George, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Shep? Absolutely, Dan. Uh, so George Brahovsky, I've been with, uh, with Shep for a little over 15 years, a uh, variety of different roles, and I lead part of the U.S. supply chain. So I oversee uh, about 30 of our large plants um, and handle about 250,000 shipments, both on the inbound and outbound. Uh, and I'm one of seven regional supply chain leaders in the U.S. Awesome. Um, so... One question I had, thinking about the industry that you're in with, you know, providing pallets and, and helping the supply chain function, you're providing a pretty traditional industrial product to a pretty industrial industry and traditional industry. How do you stay, how do you kind of maintain an innovative culture within your team and at Shep um, in that world? Yeah, great question, Dan. So if anything, the last two years, just like for everybody else, uh, the pandemic has really expedited a lot of innovation for us. And one of the big things um, that we've been focusing on is really how do we continuously stay relevant in the market for our customers, for our people, and how do we build for the future? So one of the things we immediately had to work on was, quite frankly, improving our capacity our ability to do more with less. And the way that we've been doing that is we've been heavily investing into automation in all of our sites. And really what it sort of said, how do we remain relevant to our people? Um, it's been about changing the way we work. And not just for the support teams that work from home and support all of our logistics and operations functions, but also our plant-based personnel. So with automation coming in and actually exponentially growing from an investment perspective and in, in our organization, we've been heavily focusing on enabling our team members at the plants to evolve with that automation. That's been a really great journey for us. Can you give an example, maybe a specific example of the type of automation you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. In, in the pallet industry, um, there is a percentage of pallets that come back from the trade that are damaged. And there's a percentage of them that come back that are not damaged. And they all have to be brought back up to a product quality specification. And for the pallets that come back, and the same thing goes for pallets, crates, containers, any reusable secondary packaging. Uh, for the ones that do come back that are damaged, it's really a two-step process. One of them is disassembly. How do you take components off or disassemble certain parts of the asset? And then it's reassembly. So, you know, the traditional way of um, disassembling pallets was literally cutting out components using a sawzall. Okay. You know, it's, it's really tough to hire for, really hard work and really tough conditions. Well, on the disassembly side, our vision is actually to move to a touchless plant so where we've been heavily focusing on was how do we automate that? And through the use of robotics, um, vision technology, uh, we call it automatic, automated detection uh, inspection, we're able to actually disassemble those pallets automatically, literally a robotic arm that dips the pallet into a tank and cuts off the components. Then it's much easier to just reassemble um, the pallets together and it opens the work up to a broader range of candidates that, you know, we don't have to depend just on industrial athletes to do that type of work. That's really interesting. We're going to talk about sustainability a little bit today. And, you know, what you just described to me 
suggests you can more quickly process more pallets through a facility, which means that you need to have fewer total pallets to meet demand, which is more efficient and reduces waste. You're able to probably more accurately identify what needs to be fixed in a, in a pallet and fix it more precisely, which again, lets pallets have a longer life, which is really interesting. And they've done thought about like all these sustainability angles of how you guys can improve and how that actually impacts waste and kind of total product need. Um, on that lens and kind of going down that path, can you maybe just share what sustainability means to you and to Shep? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been um, we've been really on a journey um, as far as sustainability is is, is concerned at in our organization and and Dan, it's the business model is 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 what has driven a lot of that. So we are in the share and reuse space. So instead of having a make use destroy linear model, we're really you know we have a tagline which is the pioneers of the circular economy. Well, our assets are continuously reused. We have over three hundred thirty million assets in sixty countries that support 46 out of the top 50 consumer packaged goods companies and you know most retailers that you could think of in almost every channel so right from the start it it started off with the business model now where we've been really focusing on is instead of just saying how do we as an as a company um strive towards being less bad so you you know you you, you see a lot of objectives around being um, zero carbon emissions or net zero emissions from, from a lot of organizations. Um, we've really challenged that because again, our business model is sustainable to begin with. Um, we're, we're pushing to be better. Being less bad is not good enough. We need to be better than that. So for our organization, and this, this is true for every employee um, that works for our, for, for, for our company, uh, it's really about being positive. So we're focusing on um, building regenerative supply chains. So an example of that is um, instead of replacing the tree that we use for our raw materials, well, we're actually replacing two trees. Um, so it, it really is about being So being more. better is, is not just kind of coming back to that net neutral position. Mm -hmm. You're saying, how do we actually give more than we're taking from the system? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Can you add just a fun fact? What are the longest, you know, tenured pallets? Like how long does, can a pallet last in your network? And you talk about its sustainability at its core. I'm imagining you guys are fixing a pallet for a long time. Do you track the individual pallets and how long they've survived in the system? Yeah, so there's different, there's different ways that we do that. Uh, the best way to answer that, Dan, is we, um, we, we see pallets that will last over 10 years in the supply chain because we have the ability to replace individual components going back to that disassembly to, to, to reassembly part. Um, now, with the use of technology, we do have certain pallets out there that, that we do track continuously and are serialized that give us better insights into not just um, where they are, but how they're used as well. So that is a capability that we've been uh, extensively working on now. That's cool. Yeah, I was just curious if you have like the oldest pallet in your network <laughs> and it's got a name. Yeah, no, but <laughs> that's a good John. idea. I'll take that one back. Um, all right. So I th the regenerative idea is really interesting. What are some of the other things, you know, that you guys can do? Um, and I think your business is so fascinating because, you know, it is at the core of everyone else's supply chain and everyone else's logistics. So it feels like a force multiplier when it comes to, to improving the supply chain. Because if you guys make improvements to the pallets, whether it's, you know, durability, weight, can handle 
you know, they don't break as easily, whatever it is, it kind of helps everybody else's supply chain. Um, and I think that, are there things you guys can do from a sustainability perspective with your work that you think can help other people be more successful with their sustainability initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so part of that, we do have a customer collaboration program uh, called the Zero Waste World, where we do actually partner with our customers and the industry to help solve for common challenges. And we, we, we break that down into three main parts. Um, one of them is how do we reduce inefficiencies in the supply chain? An example of that is we have a ton of data. We have the origin and shipment of, sorry, origin and destination of every pallet that moves out there, which is core to our program. We need to make sure we can recover them. Um, so by using that data, we're able to unlock um, a lot of network visibility out there that as an industry connector helps us identify opportunities for customers to, whether it's benchmarking their inventory churns, whether it's connecting transport, which is the second part of the program, um, which allows them to help eradicate empty miles. So we have a customer transport collaboration program where we're able to match, whether it's a shipper with a shipper, um, to, to share common capacity on certain lanes, improve truckload fill rates. Um, those are some of the examples. And then uh, on the product waste, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I thought we had a chat, a chat about that yesterday. It's how do we repurpose not just our waste, but potentially our customers' waste to put that back into things like um, composite materials, in that could further help reduce weight of pallets. So taking for your customers' waste and making pallets with that in, in some ways. Or That's an example that. of areas yeah. that we've been exploring. Absolutely. That's really cool. Um, how do you, yeah, I, I think we think about, you mentioned empty miles. That's something that Convoy is very focused on. And when we think about sustainability, we tend to think about it from that perspective. Reducing empty miles and, and kind of, you know, unnecessary time sitting and idling on the one hand. And then making the profession of being a truck driver more sustainable. And so we have the ability to impact both of those. On the empty miles side, we look a lot at, you know, we have a bunch of trailers. So how do we build systems that are innovative and that allow, whether it's, you know, making the trailer available to the, the driver that does the convoy job for the next job they want to do that might be outside the convoy network, combining drop and hook with live, just combining different types of jobs and giving the, the driver flexibility to reuse that trailer uh, as a way to efficiently reposition it without having to do an empty run. So how do, what are all the things we can do to get that trailer where it needs to be, whether it's our job or somebody else's job, without having to you know, run empty back? Um, or you know, how do we collaborate with, with you or others to figure out how we can combine multiple loads together and reduce empty miles? So just have fewer deadheads, fewer empty legs. And it's something we're actually, you know, I know we talked to you guys about it. How do we think about this across you and then also the customers that you support? And how do we think about the freight network that way? And I get really, I think a huge part of the potential to reduce empty miles is on being more open with our networks and sharing. And I guess, what are the areas where you guys are comfortable um, partnering with other people on freight planning? And, and where are areas where that might be um, harder for you to do, or it's just you, you've run into issues not in the past. Yeah, great, great question again, Dan. Um, if if anything, again going back to my original statement of the pandemic um, expediting a lot of innovation, I um, I feel that our organization has been 
innovative to begin with. We've been always willing to try new things. And if I recall, we actually were one of the first people to partner with Convoy originally. And um, I, I feel that it starts with, with having the right open-minded culture to, to really challenge the norms. And um, I'm seeing more and more of that with our, with our teams, just because we have a defined you know, RFP process when we go to RFP or just because we have certain agreements structured in traditional ways. Um, Dan, we're, we're as an organization always pushing the boundaries to challenge ourselves to think differently and really try to look at the larger picture. It may not just be about hitting one, two, three main metrics from a traditional service level agreement. Once we add in the wider ripple effect of what that would mean as far as helping to reduce miles in a broader network, uh, not just from a, not just from, um, from, from a business standpoint, just, just from a, the right thing to do, um, you know, I, I think those are all the key elements. And as being one of the leaders in our organization and, you know, working with the teams that go through those cycles, um, this is where I see a big part of my job being is, is making sure that people can see a bigger picture and helping them make those decisions to drive more collaboration. That makes a lot of sense. I, so, you know, we were thinking, we, we talked about it yesterday. And one of the things that I thought about during and after that is we get asked a lot as a tech company, um, how do you, you know, obviously relationships really matter in the industry. Are you guys just tech? And one of the things that I've, I've kind of realized is there is no innovation without relationships. There is no tech innovation without relationships. And I'll explain what that means. So, And also it relates to sustainability because sustainability tends to be... If you do it the way you've always done it, then it won't become more sustainable because it's the same thing you've always done. So it requires a change in process or a change in approach or technology. So that generally relates to innovation. Every time you're trying to build an innovative new thing and launch it to the market, you have to test it with somebody. You have to try it first. You have to A-B test it, figure out if it's going to work, what's the best approach. And if you don't have trust and relationships with customers, nobody's going to let you try it. And you can't do it in a vacuum in, in, in the freight industry. And so I've, I've kind of come to the realization there is, you can't actually be a tech innovator without having incredibly strong relationships. And frankly, you have to have better relationships to be a tech innovator than to be a traditional, more traditional player because you're asking people to take risks. And so when I think about, you know, sustainability, I think, you know, with what you're saying of, of like that partnership mindset, being one of the first to try something, we need people like that as partners. And for us, it's impossible to innovate and to do new things that drive sustainability without those kinds of partners, and without trust. And so I think, you know, the, that's something that I just think matters a lot. It's, you know, I appreciate the, the ability to work with you guys over time. And I think that's a good message for a lot of folks, which is, it's not either or you actually can't innovate without relationships. So work on relationships and then the people will trust you to do cool things later and try things. Absolutely. And, and you know, from the shipper's perspective, um, like I mentioned, Dan, for, for, for a leader like myself in the business, it's to enable that, right? It's getting away from the fear of failing. It's promoting learning, right? We have the saying, it's like, hey, we're either going to succeed or we're going to learn. So that's a good way to think about it. All right. Thank you, George, for joining, joining me today. It's been fun at this conference. Um, and we'll, uh, we're going to go hang out and check out the booths now. Sounds Thanks, good. Everybody. Thanks, Sam.